you already sang our passage uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning or this afternoon. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and our final installment, our third study here, Christ is born, and in this particular setting, our Savior. You see, we live in a world that, although the names have changed and the countries have changed, the issues are very much the same as they were when the prophet Isaiah authored the ninth chapter here in 686 B.C. So 2,700 years ago, uh, the world was a dangerous place. The world was a place that was in turmoil. The world was a place that if you really stopped very long, you'd realize there was a lot of uncertainty. There was oppression. People absolutely uh, were, were living in fear of all kinds of things. Economic fear. The fear of war. The fear of economic disadvantaged situations that, that engulfed many of the people in the, in the region uh, that was being written about by the prophet Isaiah, the northern kingdom of Israel. And so as we dig in, uh, in verse 1, uh, would you join me and let's pray and ask God to bless us as we study His Word. Father, we are so grateful today uh, that Your Word remains true. This incredible prophecy of the child who is born and the son who is given. Lord, we ask that You would speak to us, that we'd see the Savior in this passage Bless us as we read and study. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Isaiah chapter 9, And nevertheless the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in the Galilee of the Gentiles. And so this, this passage opens up with the prophet Isaiah getting a glimpse, looking ahead, seeing a time that was in relationship to where they were in world history, and it's important for us to remember what that looked like. In around 813 B.C., the Assyrian army marched from what is now modern-day Iraq, the city of Nineveh, across what is now Turkey, through Syria, and into what is now northern Israel, the Golan Heights, the Hula Valley, and brought into captivity all of the twelve tribes except for one, the tribe of Judah. And so in that region, the tribe of, of Dan and of Zebulun and Naphtali, every one of the eleven of the twelve was first nearly wiped out. By the time Isaiah writes these words, the children of Israel have, in addition to that, been taken captive. They've been taken captive and taken to Babylon, where they would reside for 70 years. They would be without a homeland. They would be without a temple. And in fact, it would be under Ezra and Nehemiah that they would hear the story, ultimately Nehemiah coming back, the temple has been burned to the ground. The gates are destroyed. The city is wiped out. It is to that people that these words are written. 
They were people who knew what it was like to live in a world that was dangerous. A world that was filled with turmoil. A world of immense inequity, population to population. Tremendous financial disparity. They knew what it was like to live in a world that was upside down. And in many ways, much like the world that we live in today. Verse 2, it goes on to say, And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And if you've been with us in our study in John's Gospel, Jesus, in fact, is the light of the world. And interestingly enough, this very area, the Galilee of the Gentiles, is exactly where Jesus began and did most of his ministry. A region of the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you had planned and mapped out a way to reach a vast majority of the world's population, you would have not chosen the Galilee of the Gentiles. You would not have picked that region of Zebulun and Naphtali. It was a place that was largely known for uneducated fishermen and for those who had a subsistence living. But the prophet Isaiah, nearly 700 years before Jesus came to this earth, said that the light would first shine in Galilee of the Gentiles. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, it was just beyond them to the north uh, that the Babylonians and the Assyrians had come from. It was from there that they had been taken into captivity. But it says, upon them the light has shined. Remember that Jesus came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. It was to the Jewish people that Messiah came. He came to his own people. You have multiplied the nation, increased its joy, and they rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal, noisy from the battle, garments rolled in blood, will be used for the burning and fuel of fire. They had a history of being oppressed. It had a history of being in bondage, and that would continue, eventually culminating with the Roman conquest. And after the Roman conquest, the, the temple is burned to the ground and destroyed, from which it has not existed since AD 70, when Flavius Titus destroyed Jerusalem and pushed the temple off the Temple Mount. But there's an answer to all this turmoil. There's an answer to this uncertainty. You see, the world then, the world now is filled with questions. And these next couple of verses give us the answer to those questions. It is to that group of people, it is to us today, that verse 6 is applied. For unto us a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom... To order it and establish it with judgment and justice 
from that time forward, even forever, for the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. This incredible prophetic window into what one could say is a world much like our own. You see, when you looked at the world then, you would have said, this is an oppressed people. This is a people without hope. This is a people who walks in darkness. This is a people who, when they wake up every morning, they wonder if they're going to survive to next week. As, as we were celebrating our Crisis Born program, you know, they, they launched this Falcon 9 missile from Vandenberg Air Force Base and the contrail goes out over the Pacific. I actually had people text me, are we being attacked by North Korea? I'm going, no, just Elon Musk. We live in a time of uncertainty. I remember, I was actually talking to a number of people after first and second service both, and and I had mentioned, and I'll mention it to you now, I grew up in a time when uh, I remember sitting in my elementary school classrooms and we would have nuclear weapons drills like it was going to help for you to get under your desk when an atom bomb went off, you know? You know, duck and cover, duck and cover. I lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis as, as a young person. And I remember sitting there and, and, and it was literally, we were within 24 hours of nuclear armed conflict with the Russians. There was a military blockade of the island of Cuba. And from there we went to the Cold War, which wouldn't end until 1986. So from 1961, 62 to 1986, the world sat under this incredible threat of armed nuclear conflict. Not a whole lot safer today, are we? You see, we live in a world that will always be, until the Lord comes, a very dangerous place. It is to that group of people, it is to us, it is to all of mankind, that God gave His own Son. You see, we still have questions that we can't answer. We we still live in a time when there are more questions than there are answers in our world. We have economic questions. We still face racial questions. Severe financial inequity, poverty, and in some cases generational poverty. Who has the answer for these things? Is there anyone who can give us answers? You you see, we live in that time when you might look at these things and you say, who do we turn to? Where do we go? What do we do? Now, we live in the Google age, amen? You can Google anything. You want to know how to make an atomic weapon? You can Google it. You'll actually get directions. You're going to have a little tough with the plutonium part. 
I, I grew up in a day and time when, when most of what one would want to know came in a 24-volume set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And people would come to your home and they would sell you a subscription to Encyclopedia Britannica and you'd get like the first 15 volumes and then one would come every month and then every year you would get updates. And now you get updates by nanoseconds on your cell phone. Oh, we can know a lot of stuff. But do we actually have any answers? Because we haven't solved poverty. There are more poor people today than ever in the course of human history. We have more people living in abject poverty than ever in the course of human history. And yet we are the most advanced technological society that's ever existed. We have more people living under the threat of war than ever in the course of human history. I googled it this morning. <laughs> right now, as it stands today, 57% of the entire population of the world their governments, people, or population are engaged in active armed conflict someplace within their sphere of influence. That means about three and a half billion people are in a de facto state of war. That was the population of the entire earth when I was born. It was to them those people, us, we, all of us, it was to them that the Son was given. The child was born. Can somebody give us peace? Look, let, let me be honest. There's no peace without the Prince of Peace. And even with the Prince of Peace, you may still have storms in your life. But He's overcome those storms. He's overcome the world. He's taken care of the big problem, which is not the here and now, it's the hereafter. It's what happens later. That's why Jesus actually said, in this world you will have tribulation. That's not very encouraging if you leave it there. But He went on to say, be encouraged, do not despair, don't worry, I've overcome the world. You see, the reason that Christ the Savior came is exactly what we celebrate when we read John 3.16. We're in the end of football season, right? There's always some guy in the end zone with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave His only Son exactly what Isaiah said. That's the answer. That's who the world has been looking for. That's been the problem all along. It's not an external problem. It's not governments. It's not monetary instruments. It's not physical poverty. 
is that the heart of man is desperate, it's deceitfully wicked, and who can know it for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? That's the problem. When Adam and Eve sinned, you and I inherited a sin nature. For in Adam all sin is what Scripture declares. You see, the problem is an internal problem. It's not an external problem. The external problems are just evidence that the internal problem is still not fixed in mankind. One day the Prince of Peace is coming back. One day the King of Kings is coming back to take back his kingdom. But until that time, we can learn a little bit from Isaiah's wonderful world. And I want to encourage you, you can read chapter 7, chapter 8, along with the rest of chapter 9 when you get home. But what you're going to find there is a world that looks very much like ours. They had a king. We have presidents. We have prime ministers. We have people in places of power. We have governing officials that still to this day rule over us. Appointed by God, by the way. Romans 13 is clear that government's there for a purpose and for a reason. But government is not perfect. Amen? There's all kinds of things that we we would like to change. And it doesn't matter. As wonderful as our country is, we are not a perfect country. There are things that I think all of us would look at and say, oh, I'd really like to see this change. But Ahaz had a problem that most of the world still has to this day. He persisted in stubborn unbelief that there was a God and that that God actually was the one to whom he should have allegiance. And so he has a little confrontation with God and in that stubborn unbelief, he says, I, I'm not going to ask God anything. God asks him, he says, why don't you give me something that you think I can't solve, Ahaz? Make it as high as the heavens, if you'd like. Doesn't ask. So God gives him an answer to a question he doesn't ask. He says, I'm going to have you understand it this way. A virgin shall give birth, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Ahaz, if you won't ask, I'm going to tell you the answer anyway. His name's Emmanuel. That's the answer that comes in Luke chapter 1. That's the one whom Isaiah speaks about two chapters later in chapter 9 that we're looking at this afternoon. You see, the problem still exists. The world is still very much the same. It was a dark world. It was a dark time. And it was into that world that the Savior entered. You see, Jesus has always been man's hope. And without Jesus... There isn't hope for mankind. Oh, things will come and go. We probably will become more technologically advanced than we are right now. We'll solve certain portions of the problems, but we will never solve all of the problems because the problem is the individual human heart. You can see that in action all over the world. 
being a child of the 60s, you know, that utopian mindset, we'll all just, you know, go to Yazger's farm and we'll, you know, grow our own crops and it'll be peace, love, and no war. You know what? Not only didn't happen, exactly the opposite happened. The proof of that's in communist Soviet socialist republic. We'll just make everybody the same. We'll give everybody the same house, the same food, the same car. We'll give everybody everything exactly the same. There'll be no want. You know what happened? It turned into an oligarchy. A ruling class of people took over and oppressed the rest of the people. Why? Because the heart of man is wicked. And then within those who were poor, those who didn't have, they began to take advantage of each other. And some of the deepest poverty that we've ever seen came out of what was the solution of Marxism and communism. Socialism. Well, you would think if you just gave everybody the same thing that everybody would be happy. Uh-uh. Now everybody becomes happy that everybody has, unhappy that everybody has the same thing. It's into that world that Jesus comes. It's into your world the Savior comes. It's into your darkness. It's into those areas of your life where, where you don't have the answers that Jesus comes. Those things that don't seemingly have a fix in some piece of legislation. You see, mankind is still groping in the darkness. Going to keep doing that. Oh, the darkness will look different from time to time. But mankind still needs a Savior. He wants to be light instead of darkness. And He's the one that is light. You see, people try and manufacture light. Jesus actually is light. People try and come up with programs whereby light will be visible. But the source of that light is our Savior, Jesus. People try and manufacture joy. Can I just tell you something? You will only get temporary joy from an RV. And then you have to maintain it. You will only get temporary joy from a vacation house. And then you have to pay the taxes on not one but two of them. You will only have temporary joy from a bank account full of money. Then you're going to figure out that somehow you're going to lose more than you actually get to keep. You're going to have temporary joy from that relationship. And then you're going to find out that it leads to way more problems than you had before. You see, people are about trying to figure out what they can get that will fill that spot in there, that gloom that needs to be turned into joy, and you stuff all kinds of stuff in it, and then you come up empty. Because the problem is not external. It's not that you don't have enough money. It's not that your house isn't big enough. It's not that you don't have a nice enough car. It is none of those things. It is only going to be solved in Jesus Christ as Lord. He's the answer. More stuff is not the answer. 
More wealth is not the answer. You see, we, we've tried to create joy when He is joy. And, and in Jesus Christ, there, there's freedom instead of oppression. And we think of oppression as something that's always just an external thing that happens to us, which is largely true. But you have a real enemy that's going to oppress you even if you solve all your physical problems. If we were to take care of all of the rogue governments, you're still going to be oppressed by the enemy of your souls. He's going to come against you. Jesus is the answer to that. And people say, well, you know, I just want peace. Everybody wants world peace. We should want world peace. We need to cry out for peace. Pray for peace. Act towards peace. But the fact of the matter is, if we solved all of the world's problems, we got every government together, you would still have a war on your hands. And let me tell you why. Your Bible says that in you dwells no good thing. That in fact your flesh and your spirit are at war with one another. And so even if you get rid of all the external wars and all the fighting and all the gang violence and everything else, you're still going to be at war within yourself. Because your flesh is going to want to do this and your spirit's going to want to do this and they start beating on each other. Now praise God that we have victory in Christ Jesus over the flesh, but you're still going to have a battle. So ultimately, the deliverance from that fight is one that's eternal and not one that's temporal. I'm looking forward to that day when I take my last breath here and I open my eyes in heaven because then the war is actually going to be over. Amen? Because right now, I'm my own worst enemy most of the time. I don't know about you. But me, myself, and I have some pretty good wars. <laughs> we get to duking it out every once in a while. It's like, no, I don't want, well, I want that. No, I don't want that. So if you ever hear me talking to someone who's not there, just ignore it. <laughs> it's just me, my flesh, and I. One day that's going to be over. And here's the answer to it. It's the child. It's the son. It's our King Jesus. He's the answer to these questions. You see, I, I, I love y'all. I'm super grateful to be able to be here with you and share God's word with you. I have two sons. And I love my two sons. And I think I love my two sons really, really, really well. And in fact, I would tell you gladly I would forfeit my life for either of my two sons or my bride. I love my sons. And I wouldn't trade either one of my sons for any of you. And the reason I tell you that is I'm expressing my own human inability to love as God loves. 
Now imagine God being infinite. How much He must love us. He had one Son and He gave up His one Son whom He loves way more than I love my boys. Infinitely more than I love my sons. He gave up His one Son for you. The Son who was given. I don't even know how to describe that gift. I lack the ability in human terms to describe to you what kind of love that is. When I think about my own sons, I, I would rather die myself than even think about the possibility of having to forfeit either of them for any reason. But God loved us that much that He sent His own Son to die in our place. And that Son is wonderful. He's not just a wonderful counselor. The way this is phrased in the Hebrew language, He's just plain wonderful. And so He is a wonderful counselor, but He's also a wonderful mighty God and a wonderful eternal Father, and a wonderful Prince of Peace, He's just plain wonderful. And we can see it in how He's loved us. He's wonderful. And of course, He is the answer to all of these questions. Every question you'll ever have. Every one I've ever had. You can't stump. Do not ever play Jesus in Trivial Pursuit. He's got the answer to everything. He's wonderful. And He can answer every question you have. Anybody in here need a hero? I do. I need, I need somebody to step into my time and my space and my life. You know, I, I, because there's nothing in them that is real, I, I kind of like superhero movies. If I had a superpower, it would be, I, I want to be able to fly. Because I hate traffic. <laughs> Just saying. There is no power King Jesus doesn't have. He's mighty God. If you need to fly, He can help you fly. If you need to beat back that thing that's terrorizing your life, He's able to do it. You need a miracle and provision in your life, He is able to bring to bear the resources of heaven and earth to meet that need. He's a hero. A superhero. And He's not just an eternal Father. He is the Father of eternity. He made eternity possible. Without Him, there is no eternity. Not for us as human beings. Because to believe on His name is eternal life for us. So He actually made eternal life a reality for we who believe. That's why it says He's the eternal Father. 
that war, whether it's the one in you or the one swirling around you, He's also the Prince of Peace. He's the one that can take that war and calm that storm. You see, so when you say Christ is born, He's the Savior, you're talking about the Son that was given by God to take care of our sin problem so that we could have eternal life. You see, putting faith in Christ is the one who allows you to have that wonderful counsel. To believe on His name, you're trusting in the mighty God. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you have eternal life. You don't just have life that's going to last a long time. You have the eternal quality of life. Heavenly life. Life that will be beyond your wildest expectations. And so what do we celebrate at Christmas? We, we celebrate the Prince of Peace. The one who one day will rule over all heaven and all earth. And His kingdom shall be a kingdom of peace. Not just external, but internal. Imagine when you're freed from even the capacity to sin. Won't that be a glorious day? Amen? Imagine when you never have a thought that is contrary to the goodness of God. Imagine that everything that you've ever hoped for, your wildest dreams, are now a reality because of the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the one who called himself I Am. You see, when we say Christ is born and He's our Savior, we have all these things. He stepped out of eternity into time. And right now, He's in heaven preparing a mansion for you, for me, for us. So that where He is, we might be also. Would you stand with me? Now, there's a high degree of likelihood that some of you came with friends or relatives or family and so I would be very remiss to, to tell you about this Prince of Peace and then not offer the free gift that He offers you, offers us, of eternal life. And so I'm going to ask you right now, those, that you, those of you who know the Lord, if you would uh, just bow your heads. Let's, let's pray right now. Let's begin to lift up those in the sanctuary right now, maybe that do not yet know the Prince of Peace. Don't know the Savior, Jesus. Have yet to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Because that's actually what Christmas is about. Because the greatest gift is actually the gift of eternal life that comes through believing that Christ Jesus is our Lord. And if you're here today and you want to receive that gift, you want to know Jesus personally. You want to have your eternity taken care of because you're not sure right now if you were to step out of time and into eternity, you don't know what that would look like for you. 
Jesus said, if you will believe in me, you will have eternal life. And so I want to just invite you, if you would like to know Jesus Christ and you're anywhere in the sanctuary, just slip your hand up. I want to pray with you. Anyone at all, just put your hand up. See that hand. Anyone else? I'm going to pray with you right where you're at. You, you want to know the Prince of Peace. You, you want that kind of peace. Just put your hand up. Anyone at all? I'll give you a second, give you a minute. See that hand as well. Praise the Lord. See that hand in the back? See that other hand in the back? See this hand in the side? Praise God. It's the greatest gift you could ever receive. There's nothing under your tree that's going to come close to what you're going to receive as a free gift from God the Father through Christ the Son. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up. I want to pray. See that other hand in the back. Praise the Lord. See that hand. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. You'll, you'll never be as free as you'll be when the sun sets you free. Anyone at all? Those that raised your hands, would you just pray with me? And again, you need to mean these words from your heart. I can help you, but they need to come from you to God's ears. And so if you just pray with me, pray out loud. Heavenly Father, admit that I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to come into my life. I believe that you are God's own Son, that heavenly gift. That you came to this earth and you died in my place. You were raised three days later. And you live forevermore. And I'm asking you to forgive my sin and to cleanse my life. To write my name in the Lamb's book. I give you my life to be Lord over. Help me live it for your glory. I promise to follow you all of my days. Please give me the Holy Spirit. Seal me for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.